Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. Young leaders or new leaders struggle with two problems. One is they overestimate what can be done in the short term, and they underestimate what God could do over the long run. And what I mean is this, you get into a new organization, you inherit a student ministry, or you're a pastor, or uh, you're a men's leader, or whatever, or a women's leader, and you go in there and you want to change everything overnight. And you have to realize it didn't get that way overnight. And you, with this Messiah complex, you're going to save the whole church and ministry that you're going to You don't need to change it overnight. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Vinoy, here as always with my co-host, Josh Hunter. Josh, you doing well today? Doing well, man. How are you? Doing good. You just got back from traveling a little bit. Yep. I was in Utah. Yeah. Zion National park place is beautiful it is beautiful not as beautiful as this guy's biceps we have robbie gowdy here with us today and i'm i'm excited about this because this is my pastor yeah and i get to spend a little time with him and we nice. just said let's wrap it up and do a podcast together uh, but hey we're excited to talk with robbie he's a senior pastor of long hollow baptist church the founder of replicate ministries he's also a podcast host of making disciples podcast and the author of so many books um including Growing Up. Robbie, happy to have you on, man. How you man, doing today? I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I feel like I need to get a tape measure out and just do the circumference of your biceps. Oh, my and just see. <laughs> oh my I'm pretty sure they're as big as my quads. Okay. <laughs> they're not as big as they used to be, so it's not. It's not <laughs> oh, my oh, man. Well, hey, let's go ahead and hop in here. Uh, we would love to hear about your leadership journey before where you are today. So can you just kind of walk us through your leadership journey and all the steps along the way to where you are at Long Hollow now? Yeah, that's a great question. So I actually didn't come to faith in Christ till I was 26 years old. So it's funny because I think back to my life prior to Christ and I just think of all the things I did in the secular world And little did I know, God was preparing me for ministry. So at 16 years old, waiting for a parade in New Orleans, now keep in mind, I'm, I'm lost at the time, but waiting for a parade, I decide to walk into the Jack's Brewery, which is kind of like a mall area, they have shops, and I meet a guy who's doing magic at the age of 25, and I'm laughing like a 16-year-old kid, We're like, who who does magic for a living, right? And uh, the guy calls me out, and he's like, hey, big man, why don't you come here? And he makes a deal with me. He says, if I can do a trick and you don't figure it out, you buy it because he was selling tricks. He said, but if you figure out, you don't have to buy it. I said, man, that's going to be easy. <laughs> Takes a silk cloth out, makes it disappear in his hand, shows them both empty, reaches over, pulls it out the top co- uh, pocket of my shirt and uh, makes it appear. And I said, uh, how much? I'll take it, right? <laughs> and uh, so, and I tell that story to say that at 16 years old, I started to learn card tricks and illusions, magic tricks. I don't want to get any emails on that, but card <laughs> tricks and illusions. And uh, God, little did I know, was preparing me to speak in front of people. So I started traveling and doing that. Uh, I did it through college and it allowed me to get in front of people. So God was preparing me obviously one day to preach. Uh, I, I got a job years later selling cars. Uh, so I managed different teams in car sales. And uh, then at 19 years old, I became uh, a part of a network marketing business, um, kind of like Amway or, or uh, Excel. And uh, I was managing at one time a downline of 2,000 people. I thought I was going to be a wow. millionaire at 22 years old. 
old and I was test driving Ferraris again still lost uh, but my mentors were Tony Robbins Zig Ziglar Les mm-hmm. Brown Omar Perry so I'm following all these guys and they come to find out the whole thing was a pyramid scam right so <laughs> yeah. the whole thing and it, and it happened so the whole thing kind of capitulated but here's the thing I would say one of the things I realized about the Lord even through the difficult times or the good times God never wastes a hurt and he never wastes an opportunity in our mm-hmm. past he's always going to use those things to refine us and so what I tell people is suffering in the past doesn't define you it refined you. So God is using that to refine you. And little did I know, he was using all those things uh, to be a pastor. When I first came to the Lord, I had the privilege of spending two years, twice a week, with a little known guy named David Platt. Um, <laughs> yeah, never, never you heard, heard of him. Have y'all you heard of go, that guy? You yeah. can Google him. Okay, yeah. He needs to look him up. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's he actually a pretty decent guy. He, yeah. uh, but this is pre-David Platt. Like yeah. This is David before David Platt. You know, So he was a seminary student. And we met twice a week, every week for two years. And he gave me a passion for uh, the loss. He gave me a burden for the nations. He gave me a desire for expository preaching. And so a lot of things I do in leadership, I learn watching David because people always say, what was it like, man, being discipled by David Platt? And, you know, did you study the finer tenets of soteriology? Did you (laughs) dissect eschatology? And we did all those things. But I can't tell you any of those things. What I can tell you is I watched how he loved his wife. Mm. I watched how he shared the gospel. I watched him preach and lead people overseas. I watched his passion to unapologetically preach the word. And that's how I learned, in a sense, leadership from watching him. And that's the really the the real hero is Heather. Robin Heather Platt Heather is the Platt. hero. She's Truly, the, yeah. Yeah. She's way more gifted than David. They're just saying, but no. <laughs> yeah, we need to we need to we need to let him know that. Yeah. <laughs> so from that time, being discipled by Platt, moving into pastoral ministry, kind of what did that look like stepping in for you? Um, I know you're at Long Hollow now. What were the stops along the way? Yeah, so my first church, uh, 65 people, South Louisiana, um, little town called Morgan City. Church was 65 people when I went there, and I asked the question, why would they take a chance on me? I was only a Christian for three and a half years. In, in fact, I was only removed from drugs and alcohol, $200 a day, heroin and cocaine addiction when God saved me. Three and a half years, I'm now the senior pastor of a small Baptist church in South Louisiana. Wow. And I asked them, I said, what, why did y'all choose me? And they said, well, the church was closing. The doors were, you know, we were basically closing. And we thought... What could it hurt, you know? Like like, literally, we'll scrape the bottom and we got this guy. But here's the thing. I didn't know. And this is the thing. I knew nothing about church politics. I didn't know anything about bureaucracy. I just came in naively. You know, David, obviously a mentor of mine. And I promised them two things. I said, I don't know much about pastoral ministry, but I do know two things. I'll do this. I'm going to preach expositional exegetical messages. So I'm going to let the Bible preach unapologetically about that. And then I'm going to disciple some guys. And that's really what I'm going to do. And what happened was in that small church, I won the people's confidence over by having cheerleaders and supporters in the men I discipled. So in a small church, you know, a lot of people attack the pastor or the leader because they don't know him. Mm -hmm. And but when you spend 12 to 18 months with a group of guys, then they become the biggest advocates for you. So the cantankerous people or the complainers would come and say, you know, pastor, change the color of the carpet, which we did. You know, he don't even believe in Jesus or he got rid of the paneling on the walls, which I did. You know, he don't even wear a suit anymore, which I did. You know, all those things. Uh, I don't even think he knows the Lord. It was these guys who came to my defense yeah. and said, no, I know this guy. I pray with him every week. Mm. He loves his wife. Yeah. He loves Jesus. 
Jesus. He's a man of God. That was the first church. Second church was a little bit bigger church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, Brainerd Baptist. When I got in there, I think the church was about 850 people. Very different church, traditional choir, orchestra, more of a regional church. And again, I went in with the same playbook. I don't, you know, I didn't, and obviously Jesus playbook. I'm going to preach and I'm a disciple. And again, God was very kind to us. The church exploded in growth and numerically, but also spiritually. And again, that's what I did. I just discipled a core group of people and watched that exponentially reproduce. And then now at Long Hollow, four years now I've been at Long Hollow. It's been a great season. Very different uh, kind of scenario at Long Hollow. Long Hollow is more of a cutting edge, uh, you know, excellence in worship, excellence in students, uh, excellence in production. Uh, But it's still a church. And, you know, you, you love people, you lead people through discipleship, and you teach people through the word. And so... That's pretty much. So I, I love what you're saying there. And, I, you know, focusing on a small group of people, especially at that church of 65, what did that look like to scale um, from your, your leading, you know, 65 people? I'm going to take a small group in the next church, 850, now Long Hollow. How do you make sure that that intentional discipleship is still happening? You know, you're focusing with those small group. Are they, you know, you take them through it and go find others to walk with as well. Can you kind of explain that process? Yeah. And, how, and how many people are at Long Hollow? Was it 11,000, 12,000? Well, no, we had around seven when I got oh, there. Seven. It's okay. about 7,000 in attendance. I mean, I think we have 15, 20 members, in members yeah. yet, but I think it was 6,800 in attendance. So, um, okay, so here's the thing about, about the question you're asking. So one of the things, if you're listening, you're a leader of a church or a ministry leader or a lay leader. The, the ministry you're leading will only grow to the capacity you will allow it. And this is a principle you need to understand. So what I mean is, if I'm a micromanager and I need to know everything that's going on with every person in every community at every time, then that there's a lid on that, okay? But with discipleship, I've learned this early on, if you empower people, now this is a novel idea, you may have heard this before, to equip the saints to do the work <laughs> of ministry. You've heard this before, right? Once or twice. <laughs> That's a joke. I'm like, maybe, you know, yeah. 45 times. Yeah, yeah. Now, if you go sure. to Long Hollow, you hear it all the time. Every, every but, Sunday yeah. morning. And Paul said it, right? <laughs> Paul, uh, Paul said, equipped to say. So here's the thing. I learned early on, I had a choice. Either I could execute all the ministry myself by doing everything and, you know, pastor on the call, on call and at every event. And, 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 and you want to be at events, obviously. I'm not saying you shouldn't. But I could either do all the events myself and execute the ministry, or I could spend a large portion of my time equipping equipping the saints Mm. to partner with me in ministry. And then you got to think of it. That's a more biblical model anyway, because if you do all the ministry, you're robbing your people of the God-given ability to partner in ministry and take responsibility for their faith. And so I learned early on, if I invest in a group of men, spend time with them and equip them to share their faith and get in the word until the word gets into them and teach them how to pray and how to love their spouses and how to lead their families, then they would replicate that in the church mm-hmm. and then it becomes a fire in the pew and, and like I tell people you don't have to advertise a fire in your church it'll advertise itself just mm-hmm. like with any fire discipleship becomes like a fire once it gets started and God changes the hearts of people they become the biggest advocates for it yeah it's a people want to 
be personally invested in. A lot of times they think they want that from you, Robbie. Like, I've got to get invested by the lead pastor. But I think Robbie set up a great scenario at Long Haul to where people are actually investing in each other and uh, mature women and men are investing into younger women and men and and, and even laterally sometimes and, and, uh, and above and below and all those things. I think they've done a great job of that. Tell us, tell us this, Robbie. And you hinted at it earlier, and I, I don't want to breeze by it because it's like, one of the most pivotal moments in your life and in your story. <laughs> but can you tell us about a pivotal moment in your leadership and life that really changed everything for you? And yeah. you mentioned the, the addiction in the past. Would love to hear more of that. Yeah. Okay. So I'll tell you. So when I came into uh, as a Christian, um, I, I was radically saved and transformed. I wasn't the old man. I was the new man, obviously. But I still had all these habits and these uh, mindsets and thought processes I brought from the past. So uh, David was one of the first mentors of mine, but Tim LaFleur became a mentor of mine, and Tim's on staff He's with awesome. me now, and Tim's a great guy. But Tim was a college pastor in South Louisiana on a secular college campus. But he and his wife, Chris, led a college, uh, kind of a discipleship ministry at Glorietta. Anybody familiar with Glorietta? Yeah, oh, yeah. Still we don't have, but anyway, uh, Glorietta, uh, was a great, it was, and still is a great, uh, college kind of retreat center. So Tim brought these people from all over about 130 to 40 college students mm -hmm. who work the camp and work the campus. So, uh, if you had an event at Glorietta, there were people who worked the, the like the dining hall and right. the mail, you know, mail room and, and the bookstore. And so I became the pastor as a one-year-old Christian of the 135 <laughs> college, I mean, he's the Lord again with a sense of humor, right? And and so my theology, when I go there, is still shaky, and I'm still learning, and I'm still developing as, you know, as a Christian. Obviously, we all are, but back then, really so. And Tim said, I'm going to disciple you. We're going to meet every week, and we're going to, and it was another person involved, and the three of us are going to meet every week. And so here's the pivotal point of my, 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 uh, my Christian life. I'm in the meeting with Tim. I still remember I'm in a chair uh, sitting, kind of a rocking chair, and Tim makes this statement to me that I've never forgotten. He said, Robbie, you can't do anything in your own strength to please the Lord. Mm. And I said, Wait, now you're going to see in the background here. Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins, <laughs> Les Brown. My my yeah. nickname. You like, believe in you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Like my motto in the world was, if it's meant to be, it's yeah. up to me. That's yeah, what yeah, I used to yeah, say. Yeah. I mean, pridefully, obviously, but I used to say, man, if it's going to happen, I'm going to make it happen. So Tim threw this kind of shot across the bow, which really disrupted everything. Mm -hmm. And so I said to him, I said, what do you mean I can't do anything? He said, well, I'm telling you, the Bible says in Isaiah, your righteousness is like filthy rags to the Lord on your best day and mm. your best performance, it's still unacceptable to God. Mm. And I leaned back in the chair and I, I said, Tim, you just wrecked everything I brought into the Christian life. He said, but here's the encouraging part. He said, if you allow Christ, this was the game changer, to work in you, to work through you, then you can change the world for the Lord. And basically what he said is, you need to yield to the Holy Spirit as he works in you to work through you. And here's what he said, in your own strength, it's impossible to please God. Hmm. But if you allow God to work in you and work through you, you can do great things for him. And I'm just telling you, that changed the trajectory of my life. And here's what I realized, don't miss this. If you're in ministry, listen to this. Ministry is received, not achieved. Hmm. So we don't go out, and I'm not giving you a license for laziness, don't hear what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is 
Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase, okay? So we can do everything as the Lord works through us, but it's really God's ministry. And I tell young pastors, God has given you a ministry, regardless of the size that you're able to lead and, and, and build and be responsible for, don't discount the Lord's gift of That's grace right. there. Right. I, heard, I heard a pastor years ago, his name was Pastor Brown, he was in Scotland. He was teaching a bunch of young pastors uh, about ministry, and he said these words. I've never forgotten this. He said, I know a lot of you are going to be upset with the size of your small church when you get out of ministry because you'll desire to pastor a big one. He said, but I will assure you when you stand before the Lord on the day of judgment, you'll be thankful for the few you have. Mm-hmm. And what he was saying is we're going to give an account for everybody and we're judged at a higher standard. Mm-hmm. So be faithful with the few you have. And so that would be my encouragement to, to you listening. You be faithful where you're planted. Let God give you the ministry. Receive it from God. Don't try to achieve it in your own strength because that's filthy rags to the Lord. Yeah. Man, that's such a good note. We say a lot at Student Life in our team meetings when we're talking through registration numbers, and sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down week over week. But we say, hey, as long as we are stewarding the ability, or our abilities to the best that we possibly can, we're putting everything in, we're, we're, we're working our hardest, yeah. plus giving that over to the Lord, then we can lay our heads down and go to sleep at night. But if we're, if we're letting it be on, if I'm letting it be on my shoulders of saying, I've got to achieve this yeah. to be successful, I'm missing it. I've just got to put all the work in that I'm required to do and then give the rest to the Lord. I think it's so similar in church leadership or any organizational leadership, man, just steward what you've been given with excellence and, and let the let the Lord, uh, let the Lord take it away after that. Yeah, so. And that's so freeing. I mean, think about how yeah, freeing that is. Freeing. Like, like sadly in ministry, we become managers of spreadsheets, not shepherds of sheep. Hmm. You think about that? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I know I'm meddling here, but but, but the re- deleting Excel yeah. from <laughs> Well, I'm not against that, but but here's what I'm saying. But the, that's what I'm saying. We all got in the ministry thinking, man, we want to change the world and change the lives of people. Yeah. But sadly, if you're in a numbers-driven environment where the metrics of your church attendance are the only measure by spiritual maturity, then what'll happen is you start becoming a manager spreadsheet, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. What helps me lay my head in the pillow at night and know that, man, even when the numbers don't increase every week or don't increase over season. This is a long view of ministry. Yeah. I'll give you I'll give you another insight I learned early on. Young leaders have this problem and I've struggled with it and probably you you guys have as well. And I'm not talking about young in age. I'm just talking about young in a yep. position yep. or new to an organization. Young leaders or new leaders struggle with two problems. One is they overestimate what can be done in the short term and they underestimate what God could do over the long run. Mm. And what I mean is this, you get into a new organization, you inherit a student ministry or you're a pastor or uh, you're a men's leader or whatever, or a women's leader, and you go in there and you want to change everything overnight. (laughs) And you have to realize it didn't get that way overnight. And you, with this Messiah complex, you're going to save the whole church and ministry that you're going to change. You don't need to change it overnight. Tim LaFleur used to tell me this. He used to say, um, what do you, what do you do with a stump in your backyard? There's two ways to deal with a stump. I can't, I can't wait to hear this. Okay, this is too, <laughs> so yeah, this excited. Is a, yeah, this is a good, this is a good <laughs> Tim LaFleurism. There's two ways to deal with a stump, Robbie. He said, you can throw a grenade or light dynamite around the stump and blow it to pieces. You'll get rid of it, but there's a lot of shrapnel. Somebody may get hurt. Yeah. Or you can just mow around it. Mm. And young pastor, young leader, listen to me. It's sometimes better to just, here's another insight I think that goes along with that. Larry Osborne taught me this years ago. He said, Robbie, you need to be okay with low level frustration all the time. 
this was so freeing for me because as a pastor and ministry leader, you know, we're yeah. always, there's, what I mean by that is there's always things we wish we could change yeah. and we can't, yeah. but that's okay. You need to be okay with low level frustration and no, God's still working, even though there's things that you would change and are not right. So the real question is, has Tim actually thrown a grenade? <laughs> now, Tim's from the bayou, okay? Tim, oh, then yes. Listen, Tim <laughs> knows guys yes. personally. This is true. Tim knows guys personally. This is illegally, obviously, but personally, <laughs> who would throw dynamite in the bayou, and that would be their fishing outing. Wow. You know, it's a quick fishing trip. You and I like fishing. Robbie, so. let me ask you a question and be honest. Have you ever thrown dynamite into the bayou? <laughs> no, but I have. But the way I catch fish, my friend, I have thought this about guy it. Can catch, oh, catch a fish to gosh. save his life. Yeah. I've been trying. I can't. If he goes with me. Josh can. is a self-proclaimed fisherman. Has he told you about this? No, I have not even heard of it. I have it. never seen it in action. Self-proclaimed. Interesting. Well, I haven't seen it. That's why. Come now, on, I man, believe I, it. You but have to I have faith. It's <laughs> by, by faith, not by sight, I Robbie. need faith, not sight. Yeah, that's, good. that's so good. Well, let's move to the next question here. There's mistakes all along the way of a leadership journey. What would you say is your biggest mistake as a leader getting started? Um, I think the biggest mistake early on um, was in my preaching. So... God had to really deal with a lot of pride and arrogance early on and, and envy. You know, we fight a lot of that early on in preaching. Uh, I'll tell you a story. I was, uh, they invited me my second year. And you can understand, as most people were learning kind of behind the scenes, I was thrusted into the spotlight in a sense where, I got saved and then I was already preaching and I got saved and I was discipled by Platt. So people were watching me. So the mistakes I made were more public than private. Uh, and one of those was I got invited years ago to follow David Platt one year, Tony Marita the next year. I was the third year for the Mission Lab pastor. So New Orleans Seminary had this Mission Lab organization where students from colleges all over came into the city during spring break to do mission work. And they had a pastor. So I'd preach Sunday and Thursday. Okay. And back then I would preach and I was over the top and I was screaming and yelling and, you know, 55 minutes Leonard Ravenhill-esque type of sermons, you know. And at the beginning of the thing, I mean, I'm not proud of this. Thank God YouTube was not around. Okay. Yeah. Golly. Yeah, Some people were saying, let me find yeah. this sermon. Thank oh, God no. this is not around. Yeah. I would get up. I'm not ashamed. I'm ashamed to say this. And I would hold my Bible up in Joel Olstein fashion. I'm just telling you and say, this is my, Bible. say it with me. This is my Bible. I, I, could, it says I, I could do what it says. Yeah. I, I could climb to the highest mountain. It leads me through the low, you know, so that, that Robbie Gallaty experience. Okay. Now I thought in my prideful, arrogant mind, I thought, man, I am connecting. And so, so the second sermon I preached, and on that Friday the, or that Thursday night, the director emails me and says, I know you'll be at school tomorrow. Can we meet for lunch? The whole team wants to meet with you. Mm. So here I am. I'm thinking, this is what I'm thinking. <laughs> you, ever, yeah, you ever walked into something so like this? Good. Oh, yeah. I'm young in the ministry. I'm a two-year-old Christian. I'm like, man, I'm walking into this meeting thinking, <laughs> I've never heard preaching like this. I mean, golly, I mean, they're going to say, man, where have you been? Oh, you know, this is my prideful, arrogant mind. So I walk in there. I get my lunch. And I realized after the reason the whole team was there is the director, I think, was scared to meet with me alone. Now, back then I was, you know, a little heavier. I was, you know, six, six, but I was like 290 back then. So I think he's thinking Robbie's going to get in the flesh. And so he's got the whole team, like seven people in the room and me. And he starts by saying this. He says, Robbie, here's why we're here. You're scaring the kids. <laughs> That's what he said. That's his first line. And he's me. like, he's like, yeah. He said, you are scaring the kids. He said, you're too over the top. He said, you're 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 preaching. It looks like you're you're boasting yourself, and your sermons are too loud, and they're too long. And you ever been here before? Now, 
it's painful to go through this, but this was a defining moment for me. I was only married to Candy for a couple months. I think we were married four months. I remember going back home that 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 afternoon. She had just gotten home from work. She worked at the seminary, and I shared, and we wept together as a new mm. couple. And 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 here's what happened: the Lord drove us to our knees. We had a prayer room, and we spent that night just praying and crying out to the Lord. But that was a defining moment for me, because what the Lord showed me is you don't have to impress people. Uh, and you don't have to impress uh, the, the crowd. You just be faithful to the, te- the text and be you. So the greatest thing I tell young preachers is this, is this. Stop trying to be someone else. You be you. Here's why. No one on planet Earth is you. God's created you uniquely for a reason so you can be you. So when you don't be you, in a sense, you're robbing yourself of the God-given gift to the church that God has created you for. So uh, I learned a valuable lesson there. Do I still struggle with pride and arrogance? Absolutely. I mean, I think a a lot of us will do that at times. But uh, it's helped me really define and realize I don't have to press anybody. I can really just impress God and be me. Yeah. And it's so good that they're honest with you too, even though they might've been a little scared, oh, or intimidated, you know, like, thank God. Yeah. Yeah. We've been talking a lot about humility around here mm-hmm. lately. And I've realized, you know, externally, I don't, a lot of people can kind of hide pride. You know, it's not an external thing that much, but if you have a lot of pride internally, it will make itself external eventually. Yeah. And so like squashing that internally, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thankful to the Lord that that happened to you, you know, a couple, yeah. a couple years into your preaching and stuff. Cause I'm yeah. sure that was really pivotal for you, but definitely I saw, saw something on Twitter today. I think somebody said, uh, pride's favorite mask is humility. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like this false humility that that's you're putting bad. out, but it's inside. So I, yeah. And one of the, one of the things I, uh, I even have to watch in my own, my own soul and my own sanctification is you can have what's called unapplauded pride. Mm. where you feel like you should have got, I'm not prideful, but I should have gotten mm. stroke for that. I should have gotten encouraged yeah. for that. And that manifests itself in ways that we're not aware of at times. Gosh, that's good. Yeah. Good well, before we move to the next question, let's take a moment to hear from one of our sponsors. Every church must be equipped to respond well in the initial stages of learning about instances of sexual, physical, or emotional abuse. That is why the Southern Baptist Convention, Lifeway, and ERLC have partnered together to create Becoming a Church That Cares Well for the Abused. This training curriculum of a handbook and 13 videos brings together top experts from various fields to help volunteers and leaders understand and implement the best practices for handling the variety of abuse scenarios at church, school, or ministry. You can access this free training at churchcares.com. Once again, that is churchcares.com. Now, back to the podcast. Robbie, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting to lead? Uh, two books that have been really pivotal in my... Can I give you two? Oh, yeah. Okay. Three? That's fair. Three. Five, okay. no, I'll give you two. You Let me give you two. Uh, <laughs> the book that's helped me with pastoral ministry the most, I think, is Lectures to My Students by Spurgeon. Yeah. When Tony Morita, who's been a good friend and kind of a mentor to me, uh, preached my ordination service, he gave me his personal underlined written-in copy. Oh, I still have wow. it. It's, it's one of my greatest treasures. And, uh, and I read that book a couple of times. So I would say that for pastoral ministry ministry. Um, one of the greatest books that has helped me leadership wise more recently is a book called The Emotionally Healthy Leader yeah. by a guy named Pete Scazzaro. And what and Pete and I have become friends recently, and I'm going to speak at a, a conference with him uh, soon. But what Pete has helped me with personally is this. And here's what he says. Your spiritual maturity will only grow to the level of your emotional health. 
Okay, Mm -hmm. so here's what he's getting at. And I encourage you to get the book if you don't have it. What he's saying is you can and we're big on discipleship. So he'll say you can read the Bible all you want. You can memorize scripture. You can share your faith. You can go to worship. You can grow as a Christian. But you only you only grow to the level of your emotional health, health, meaning every one of us has brought into the Christian life baggage and hurt relationships and abusive dads and uh, passive aggressive moms and different things like that. And so he kind of helps you identify that and grow through that. The second thing he's helped me with, and I've been on a journey with this, is just Sabbathing and resting. So lately I've realized that you can only run for a season and the Lord will stop you in your tracks. And so here's what the Lord showed me. Our bodies, watch this, are not minor prophets, they're major prophets. Okay, what do I mean? When your body speaks like stress, anxiety, tired all the time, uh, you know, I just feel like everybody's against me, you know, fear, that's your body saying you need to stop or there's a greater danger down the road. Now, this is a guy who's talking, who has stomach issues, back issues, and just got a pacemaker replaced last week, okay? So I I am am not (laughs) telling you this for somebody who hasn't lived this and paid the dumb tax, but here's what I'm saying. Um, Be aware that burnout's a real thing. A lot of guys, friends of ours recently have passed away committed suicide and I think one of the things we overlook in the ministry is the fact that burnout's a real thing. Nobody celebrates contemplation and meditation today. They celebrate workaholism. Yeah, hustle. And it's a yeah, and it's a yeah. badge of honor for us, you know. Hey man, what's up? Dude, I am burning the candle at both ends. Yep. I'm so busy. Nobody says, "Man, I just got back from a week retreat in the mountains." <laughs> It was great. What'd you do? Nothing. We <laughs> frown on that. Yeah, we like, what are you talking about, yeah, dude? You yeah. need to be out there hustling. So what I'm saying, and I'm not saying we, we're, we're lazy, but what I'm saying is develop a rhythm. Yeah. God, listen, God sanctified a calendar in the Old Testament. Think about this. One of the things that made the people of Israel separate from the rest of the nations is that God ordered their calendar. He said, seven times a year, you'll rest. Seven years, you'll rest. And 70 years, you'll rest. And basically, God gave them a calendar. Follow the calendar, you'll be healthy. The problem with many of us, and I know I'm meddling here, is that your calendar runs you. You don't run the calendar. And you can do that for a season, but eventually God will, will, will it'll catch up. So here's a line I, I've gotten from Pete, and it's a great line to think about. Many people in ministry, their role has outpaced their soul. Mm, that's really good. So your capacity for leadership and your input from the Lord, you don't have a cup that's runneth over. As David said, you have a cup that is on empty. Mm. And so you're trying to lead out of something that you, you're, you, you're in a sense spiritually bankrupt by. John Wesley used to say, I don't study the Bible to preach. I preach because I've studied the Bible. Yeah. You see the difference? It's out of the overflow yeah, of yeah. his time with God. That's really good. I feel like Emotionally Healthy Leader has been mentioned on here yeah. three or four I, times I now. just recently read it. I haven't um, read it yet. It, we, like a good one. We, read, good. we read through it as a group at our church and the same thing. We all kind of started discussing, man, we need to slow down, not for the sake of just getting things off of our calendar, but to spend time with the Lord. Uh, the Rule of Life was a big piece of that as well. The Shadow, I mean, that whole book, I would right there with you, just recommend it. Have y'all read Garden City? I think I've yes, talked to you about yeah, that. Yeah, I've read that. I just, another I good just finished one. it. Yeah. That's a good one. I, I think hustle is so important, and I think everybody in this room would agree with that. 
but we actually get more efficient hustle when we learn how to rest better. Yeah. Like we get yeah. more work done just more efficiently. Yeah, and here's the thing. Don't think of it this way. And here's what the Lord showed me through this whole process. We, many of us work for rest. So what I mean is we have our calendar set out. We know in June we're going on vacation. So yeah. we will grind it out. You know, March, we're checking boxes. March, April, we're checking boxes. May, we're almost there. June. And then what happens is we go away for a week or two in June, and then we're so burnt out from getting there, we go right back into it again. So mm-hmm. what God set up with a seven-day system is don't work for rest. Watch this. Work from rest. It's a whole lot healthier system and process. Yeah. I thought that's what you were going to say, but I didn't want to ruin it for everybody. <laughs> it was good, though. Yeah. Well, Robbie, getting started, what was your biggest misconception of leadership? Um, I think the biggest misconception in church was that I was responsible to do everything as a pastor. Yeah. And Erwin Lutzer, again, I, I don't have a lot of original ideas. I have a lot of good mentors, and so I like to learn from a lot of people. Erwin uh, Lutzer, years ago, who's a pastor, uh, shared with me this. He said, Robbie, what is the one—he he told me this over breakfast one day. He said, what's the one thing you can do in your church that no one else could do? I said, wow, I, I guess uh, preaching. He said, yes. I said, vision casting. He said, yes. And uh, I said, well, I, I, he said, that's it. He said, now you can do other things and you should do other things. Pastoral visits, hospital visits, counseling, weddings, funerals. You can do those things. He said, but if you don't do the one thing God's called you to do, everything else suffers. And I think the temptation for us in ministry is that, and this is a a great misnomer, I think, in leadership, is that we try to work on our our weaknesses and neglect our strengths. And I think that, and Craig Rochelle, I listen to his podcast a lot. He would, I think he would uh, echo this and he would say, don't just work on your, don't work on your weaknesses because you'll maybe get them up to 50% or 40%. Accentuate your positives and your leadership skills and, and bring a team around you to fill in the gaps of the things you're not good at. Yeah. Which, which leads to something I've done for years in, in a, as a leader, and this has helped me. I've always created what's called a feedback loop. So I have guys who are trusted in my life who have the free reign to critique me and give input on everything in my life from sermons to sermon prep. And you know this because we talk about this in the class. We, we talk about expository preaching. Josh is one of my expository preaching students. One of my <laughs> C students. C students. Yeah. Well, the verdict's still out. The grades are still not in. So, but, any, but anyway. I turned in my outline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but we talk about this a lot. So we have feedback and feedback loop. And so I would say if you don't have trusted people speaking into your life, mm. you're not growing as a leader to the capacity you could if you have people giving you feedback. It's good. Yeah. Really good. Ready for the next one? Yep. All right, Robbie, now that you're older and hopefully more mature. We'll have to ask Candy if she okay. thinks that you're more yeah. mature or not. But looking back, what are some of the qualities that you wish you had had as young a leader? So think those first few years in the pastoral office, just, man, what qualities? I wish I'd had that when I was younger. Yeah, I would say obviously patience, which is probably not new for the listeners here. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people talk about patience. Uh, I wish I was more patient with um, with God working and, and with my own sanctification. You know, you think about God is God's never in a rush to do anything. In the Bible, he he's always long-winded, if you will, with people. I mean, think about, perfect example, Noah. You're going to build an ark. And oh, by the way, you're going to construct it for over 100 years. You think about that. I mean, I can see a year or 10 years or 20. 100 years, no rain, right? But he was faithful. Uh, Abraham, I'm going to give you a promise of a son. And oh, by the way, you'll wait 
25 years for the promise. To, we got some young leaders, they can't wait 20 minutes. Yep. Okay. I mean, I'm not throwing them on the bus no, no, or dying no. them, but the reality, and I put myself in that, I have a hard time with patience. Uh, think of Joseph. Joseph has to wait 13 years from the promise of God to the pit, to the prison before he gets in the palace, right? Uh, you think of Moses. We're going to go on a six-month journey. How long is it going to take? 40 years. And I tell people, the reason the Israelites wandered for 40 years was not for God to get the Israelites out of Egypt. It was to get e get Egypt out of the Israelites. Mm. And it takes time. So you got to think of your own life. Jesus, I think Jesus is the best example. Jesus waits 30 years in anonymity and obscurity before he comes on the scene and starts his ministry. This is the son of God. Could he have gone to the temple at 12? Absolutely. Claimed to be God, which he was, but he didn't. So if God's never in a rush, then why should we be in a rush? And so uh, I would just challenge people to think about God works the best in our waiting. Waiting's tough, I get that, but God works the best in our waiting. So now the only time God is in a rush is one time in the Bible, pop quiz. Do you boys know the one <laughs> time- This is how the class feels like yes, <laughs> One time in the Bible where God is in a rush is only one place. The resurrection. Uh, could be, but no. No. No, but that's good, that's good. That's a good answer. Uh, it's a parable. I'll give you a Yeah, get, there's so many. It's, it's a parable uh -huh. where God is the father. Prodigal and son, he runs after him. The okay. prodigal son is the only time in the Bible where we see God in a rush to do anything. Now, what is mm -hmm. the father doing? He's running to receive a repentant son. That's the only time God's in a rush to receive a repentance. Other than that, mm -hmm. God works in the waiting. So some of you are in the waiting room right now, and I want to encourage you to just say, be patient. God's working. Yeah. That's a good note. Really good note. Well, hey, let's move to the quick hitters here. So these are going to be short one-minute answers. And we'll get started with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, uh, get into the office, exercise, all that good stuff? So I w I'm a big proponent of working out. Uh, I've worked out since I was 16. Uh, just think we that's a regular tell. routine. We can't tell. <laughs> yeah, I still work out. I train. Um, so uh, normal routine for me, I wake up about 5.50-ish, sometimes a little later, sometimes earlier, but about the 5.50 range. I'll do my quiet time first. So my, mm -hmm. my strategy is word before weights. Okay. <laughs> it's a, it's a good strategy because if I do weights before word, word sometimes doesn't get done. So I get up, I make my coffee and I sit there or pre-workout. Sometimes I'll do that <laughs> and I'll read the Bible with pre-workout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing like Philippians with some pre-workout. I'm just telling you, man, try it. Don't knock yeah. it. So, uh, I'll read that. I read the word, then I'll work out for about an hour and then I'll come in the office. Um, and then normally it depends on what day it is, uh, Monday and Tuesday, all day meetings with my teams. And I try to spend time with my teams. I realize that shepherds smell like sheep. You have to be with your people. If you want to be a shepherd, you can't, you can't outsource leadership. You got to be there. Wednesday, I spend all day working on the sermon. Gordon McDonald taught me this years ago. He said eight hours, seven, eight hours at home away from interruptions is better than 16 to 20 hours with interruptions. Cause you know, in the bit, you know, in the ministry is like, Hey, pastor, two yeah. minutes. Yeah. Yep. Well, two minutes is co-work for 20 minutes. So uh, when I'm at home, I get I get focus and I get direct. So you go home to work on your- I don't even come day. in the office. Okay. Yeah, Wednesday, I don't even come in the office. And so I work from home. And then Thursday is mostly meetings. But normally, I'll do that. Now, here's what I do. At the end of the day, I do something that I've gotten from Pete Scazzaro, but I've created as my own. I call it a daily reset. 
Okay, mm. this has been the game changer. Chris Wayne and I, who uh, is with me on the podcast, Making Disciples podcast. Chris Wayne and I are writing a new book on discipleship. It's called. I know this is going to surprise you. Replicate. Right. Yeah. Really <laughs> excited. About really. This, by it, the way. Well, yeah. thank you. Yeah. It's like it's it, the subtitle is how everyday disciples can change the world right where they are. Okay. So. Uh, so anyway, in B and H. Actually, no, um, Moody's publishing it. B&H published the last one, but Moody's publishing this one. So um, we wrote a whole chapter on self-care. Mm. And here's the line we start with. Self-care is never selfish. It's always strategic. Mm. So we always think, we always care for others in the ministry, but who cares for the, pa- who pastors the pastor, okay? Yeah. So let me give you this quickly. I know this is uh, uh, longer, I know this is longer no, than a minute, is, but, this is but let me just tell you, I got a lot of things I've been living out. Okay, let me tell you what the reset is. It's an acronym for a 20 minute time with God every day. Okay, so what I do is I normally go out on the porch, you can go in the back, you can go in a, a, a living room, you can go in a sunroom, whatever you have, you can go upstairs, but you want to get along with the Lord. I like to go on my porch because I want outside and I yeah. want to just enjoy the environment. Okay, the acronym is this, the R stands for relationships. So here's what I do. I ask the Lord at the beginning, so the beginning of it is one to two minutes of silence and solitude. And then I go into the reset acronym. You don't have to go through them all, but if you do, it's pretty powerful. The R is relationships. I ask two questions. God, is there anything today that I've done that would disqualify or hinder my relationship with you that I need to confess? It's a great therapeutic, you know, awareness kind of practice. Second thing is, is there anything I've done to another person that I need to go and apologize for? If you're married, there's normally something. You know what I mean? At least with me, I shouldn't have said this. Uh, so one and two, I've always got okay, something. Okay, so you got some. Okay. The E is environment, okay? So you're asking, or basically, you're basically looking at your environment and you're praying God, and I do it two ways. One, with eyes open, I enjoy God's creation. When was the last time you did that? Yeah. How the trees are colored and how the leaves are and the grass and the birds. And then the second part of it is that I close my eyes and listen. I listen to, and it just—it's it, funny how sound works. It kind of, uh, it kind of layers on each other, and then you start to hear, and that's all that's doing is getting you in the right frame of mind. The S is stress in the body. I'm sorry, the S is uh, scripture. Sorry, scripture. So what I'll do is whatever scripture I read in the morning that stuck out to me in a hear journal, which is what we do, I re-emphasize and I meditate on. The E, second E, is emotions. This is a big one. I ask God to identify any emotions in my life that are hindering or self-sabotaging, fear, anxiety. Why am I anxious? And then here's a cool thing I learned from um, a guy who wrote a book called Holy Noticing. He said he asked the Holy Spirit like a spiritual MRI to start at the crown of his head, go through his body and identify stress that he's harboring in his body. Now, for me, I have a lot of stress on my shoulders because basically I just, that's where I carry a lot of stress. And so you release that to the Lord. The T, and this is the big one, the last T is thankfulness. I finished the whole practice by just saying, God, here is one or two things. And I'm going to talk about, I'm thank you for a good health or a good day. Very specific. I'm thank you for the fact that I got to eat lunch with my wife today and share with her how much she means yeah. to me. And, you know, scholars have, and, and studies have shown an attitude of gratitude that changes the course of your life and your day. So I do that just about every day for about 20 minutes. And that has been the game changer for me health wise. It's been amazing. Love that. What's your favorite personality test? 
Uh, Myers Briggs. What's your results? I don't like the Enneagram at all. <laughs> <laughs> Just had to share that. No, I'm playing. I'm playing. I, 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 I knew you like the Enneagram. I don't. I, I like the. Uh, I like the Enneagram. Actually, so my new. I just did it for the second time Should because we guess I first? found out. I'm gonna let you guess. But the first time I did it, I realized you shouldn't do it with your staff in the room helping yeah, you answer yeah, the yeah. question. Do, yeah. Oh my god! Oh, so I funny. kept saying, "Okay, uh, captivating." Okay, what do y'all think? Really captivating, you know, and and so they would give input. So I did it with them, and I realized that's not right. So I had yeah. to take it again. <laughs> I, I I'd go either like a seven wing eight or a three wing two. Ooh, I don't know, Chandler. Nah, I think the same. Yeah, I'm a three with a wing of joyful. So I'm three, which is um, two. Three wing yeah. two. Three two. That's what it is. Yeah, I think I'm a three two. two. Yeah. yeah. Achiever. So. Yeah, I see a lot of achiever. Yeah, me, achiever, perfectionist, yep. uh, driven. Yep. Yeah. Huge muscles, so, so on and so forth. Were your <laughs> were your results different from the first time to so the So the first time? one was three with a wing of loyal. Whatever whatever loyal was. Oh, wait, maybe, okay, well eh, whatever. Loyal three maybe, wing it, four, three wing two. One yeah, of those it's two. one of those. I yeah, don't know. Okay. But um What's your Myers Briggs? Uh, I don't oh, no. know. I don't know what the Myers Briggs is. I'm a D on the D, this profile, yeah, yeah, high D yeah, with yeah. the low, with the low I, second yeah, I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm like in the 65, 70 percent D range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we well, couldn't tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? Um, unusual. Pit, let's pick one. I mean, I got a, my nickname's Hobby Robbie. You know, so Harry's I gotta, been calling me that, by the way. Really? Since you mentioned it in your okay, sermon. You yes. really, okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I got a lot of. Well, I guess a habit. Um, I would say one of the habits I've uh, picked up. Well, this is one of the things I try to do with my kids. I'll just give you something for my kids. My discipleship group this year is my two boys. So I decided for this year to disciple my boys. I've discipled men for years and years, uh, and I've realized. Boys, particularly kids, obviously in general, boys need to hear three things from their parents all the time. Number one, I love you, obviously, because a lot of people listening didn't have a dad that ever said, I know my dad, his dad never said he loved him his whole life. So I love you. Number two, I'm proud of you. So I'm constantly trying to say, man, that was like, I'm trying to find him doing good things. You know, it's easier to find good and, uh, and acknowledge that than correct bad. So uh, I love you. I'm proud of you. And here's the third one. You never hear people say a lot. I believe in you. Mm. Daddy believes in you. You can do anything God wants you to do. So those are just habits I'm doing with my kids now, just trying to find things in my boy's life that I can That's encourage. awesome. I love that. What's uh, your favorite app on your phone right now? Oh, this is a good one. So here's the deal. With this Sabbathing and resting, okay, so I'm waiting for my new phone to come in. It should be in in the next oh, two he weeks. Did it. Here we go. He Here we go. Did it. It's called the Light Phone 2. Oh, Have you heard of this? I think I've seen it. No, oh, okay. I, I thought you were going to go The Apple. Light Phone 2. No, no, no. I mean, I've got an no, Apple. This is the one that strips everything listen, out. Listen, this is a bare bones, stripped down, no app phone. It has, it does five things. <laughs> this phone has an alarm. It has GPS. Uh, it has texting, calling, and it'll, and um, it right and now. I think it has like an Uber, so you can oh, Uber. Yeah? That's uh, but that's it. Wow. And here's the point. The point is deliberate simplicity. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because the point is the phone drives us and we are, we are basically prostituted and used and adulterated by the phone all day long. We are servants of the phone 
And you know this. I love that language. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> Not so to be good. so crass about no, the phone, good. but the reality is the phone has used me for so long. Chris likes it I am breaking up with the phone. This yeah. is a breakup happening yeah. soon. Now, I'm going to keep my iPhone during the day, but here's one of the things that my strategy is. I'm going to keep the iPhone during the day, and then when I go home at night, I'm going to put the iPhone on the charger, and then I'm going to use the, the mm. light phone. And then on my day off, which is a Sabbath day, I'm going to use only the light phone. The real reason... It's because there's no fish to take pictures of. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, that is true, though, but uh, you didn't have to rub it. Uh, so a couple of years ago, I was trying to do the same thing. I, was, I wanted to take 40 days away from my iPhone, and I took a flip phone back to Verizon and tried to activate it. And they couldn't, they couldn't do, do it. it. They're like, oh, yeah, we don't, we don't know how wow. to do this anymore. So yeah. I'm glad that there is a way to okay, do it Okay, yeah. Yeah. We're part of the resistance. Chris and I, Chris Wayne and I got rid of our Apple watches uh, about... Six, eight months ago. Okay. Chris, about six, eight months ago. So Chris is in the back of the room. I'm wearing a uh, guest watch Digital right minimalism. now. Chris has got a Timex, an old Timex. Who knew they still made those? Okay. <laughs> you got a Timex. You got a Casio. I got a Casio. Um, wow. $12. I'm hiding my Apple Oh, watch boy. We got, a, we got an iPhone user in here now. <laughs> hey, last, last question, and I love this question. What one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the first time? Hmm. I would say... Um, well, it's kind of what I said earlier, but I'll say it this way. Uh, you have no one to impress and nothing to prove. And I think when you realize that you're not in competition with other pastors in town or, or, or other churches, particularly in ministry, that we're all on the same team. The Lord showed me this recently, like, like, like. Long Holland, we're not in competition with First Baptist and Life Church and all these churches in town. They're on the same team. And when they win, we win, mm -hmm. right? So I think in the church, there's, there's so much politicking and and backbiting and keyboard courage of guys, you know, subtly subtweeting and, and texting and condemning. I just think we need more love and encouragement. I've realized that when you show extra grace to someone, uh, God honors that. And I remember Jerry Bridges said this years ago, and I'll close with this, this one of the greatest quotes I've heard from him. He said, on your worst day, you're never beyond the reach of the grace of God. And somebody may need to hear that today. On your worst day, you're never outside of the reach of the grace of God. But on your best day, you are desperately in need of the grace mm, of God. And so even on our best day, we still need grace upon grace. So why not, why not be dealers of grace? You know, years ago, I used to be a drug dealer. Now I deal grace, you know, and deal hope. So <laughs> we'll I'm, a hope, I'm a hope dealer. I'm a hope dealer. I'm a grace dealer. Boom, so, there it is. Yeah. Well, man, we're, thank you so much for, yeah. for being on here and your story. And it's, it's a privilege to sit under you in the pulpit and watch you teach every Sunday. And um, I, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of weird because you say a lot of the same things <laughs> that you're saying in the pot. Okay, look at look at me. Listen. Look, oh, yeah. look here. Oh, look here. Listen. Oh, yeah. So it's been fun to have you on today, man. Yeah. For real. Thanks for joining us today. And thank you for listening. And if this has been helpful to you in your leadership journey, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review so other leaders like yourself can find the podcast. We'll see you next week. See ya. See ya. See ya.